The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. to the forum at 8 here on AM Live and now international non-governmental organization Human Rights Watch has called on the European Union and its 28 member states to act immediately to address the human rights crisis resulting from what they call years of mismanaging migration and asylum. The rights body says that with a humanitarian crisis on the Greek islands, dysfunctional asylum system in Hungary and thousands of new arrivals in need of protection and many deaths at EU borders, 
bold steps are needed at an EU summit uh, to address all of this. And they accuse Europe of showing a staggering lack of political will and humanity to grapple with the refugee and migrant crisis. On the Forum at 8 this morning, our question is, why is Europe struggling to address this migration crisis? And joining us for the discussion, Dan Whitehead, who's our correspondent in London, and also Vincent Williams, an independent consultant on migration. Gentlemen, thanks for your time this morning. Now, you know, the picture of uh, Elan Kurdi, the three-year-old boy, it really, I'm trying to understand, grappling to understand why this particular image has stirred uh, so much, you know, in most of us, given that we've had, you know, a whole period uh, where, according to international organizations for migration, more than 350,000 people have uh, reached the EU via the Mediterranean this year, and more than 2,000 people have died trying. So what was it about that image last week that moved us to the point that we are now, Dan? I think, I think you're absolutely right. That image is what, certainly here in the UK, sparked uh, such a huge uh, reaction and movement, and it really did right to the very top. We saw the Prime Minister David Cameron do a complete U-turn Within 24 hours, uh, just before that image was published, the Prime Minister said it was not the answer for the UK to take in any more refugees. Uh, that picture then spread around the world with the front pages of many of the newspapers uh, here in Britain. Uh, and then the Prime Minister, as I say, did a U-turn, and we expect him later today uh, in Parliament as the MPs uh, meet again after the summer recess to outline the UK's plans uh, that they will be taking thousands more Syrian refugees. Um, why why that U-turn and why that picture is a difficult answer it probably comes down to human nature and the British mentality. Um, it struck a chord clearly and it's not just government policy which will be changing uh, today. Uh, across the country that photograph has sparked uh, community movements uh, pick up uh, and drop off for aid being uh, taken uh, to Eastern European countries and also Calais. There's uh, been hundreds over the weekend of aid drop-off uh, across the United Kingdom. And uh, it, it was certainly the picture which has sparked movement among the British public. Dan Whitehead, we're going to try and get you on a better line there. In the meantime, let me speak to uh, Vincent Williams, independent consultant on migration. Uh, Vincent, you know, um, as Dan was explaining, you know, that picture very haunting and clearly sparked uh, many world leaders into action. But, you know, if you look at the language, you know, again, as I said, given that this has been going on for quite some time, it didn't start last week. Uh, But the language that we use firstly to describe the people, they are migrants. And now suddenly they are refugees. So which is it? And does it actually matter? Well, I think language is an important issue here because, I mean, and let me just say that in my view that what we have is probably a comb- combination of migrants and refugees. But here's the thing. If, if the people who are attempting to get into Europe are described as migrants, there's a different set of rules and policies that apply to them. Whereas if they described as refugees, then there's... A, a, a legal obligation on EU member states to hear the case for asylum and if they qualify to then them in. And so they've been ducking the issue by describing uh, people as migrants. They're essentially saying, well, we have no legal or moral obligation towards them and therefore our normal migration policies will apply. So I, while it, it seems like 
it's not an important issue. Mm. The word that we use to describe the Syrians and others who are trying to get into EU is incredibly important. So now they are refugees. And what does this mean for Europe and the influx of people? Well, refugees, most, most EU member states would have signed the 1951 Convention on the Protection of Refugees. And the first and probably most important element of, of that convention is that everyone has the right to apply for asylum. And the implication of that is that when you, when, when you regard someone as an asylum seeker or a refugee, you have to allow them to enter your, your, your country and you have to hear their case. Um, and so regardless of how many they are, regardless of how they get there, the international obligation is you have to allow them to enter your country. And, that, and this is part of the dynamic that we've seen over so many years that many European states have just flatly refused to acknowledge that many of the people who are arriving at their borders are refugees as opposed to economic migrants. And why is this even allowed? Um, you know, uh, it, uh, because if people are destitute, if people are fleeing from uh, some or other situation uh, that they cannot basically put up with, uh, why is it that countries can get to choose whether they want to or don't want to deal with that situation? It's, it's, I think it's, it's a fairly complicated matter because a lot of, as I said, a lot of the EU member states regard people who arrive as economic migrants as opposed to refugees, and therefore they say we have no obligation to, to take them in or, in fact, to even consider um, processing any kind of application for, for entry. Um, but what that picture did the other day, and I think this is in, in terms of the earlier question that you asked, is it reminds us, it tells us this is what will happen inevitably when we ignore the crisis that we, we're seeing in Europe at the moment, when we do not morally and, and legally as well respond to the situation in the manner in, in, in which we should. Regardless, I mean, and so part of the, the debate and part of the reasons why many uh, countries are saying they, they cannot do this is they, at the word you just used, there will be an influx if we seem to be too relaxed and we seem to be too easy going in terms of allowing people to come into our country. But as I say, that doesn't really matter. These are refugees. People need to leave their countries. They are at risk. And that's the only thing that really should matter here. What has also been interesting, Dan, is that European leaders differ on how to respond um, uh, to the refugee crisis. But they all seem to have the same opinion um, that they are facing a serious crisis, though. Yes, absolutely. Well, what you've seen over recent weeks is the uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel really spearheading the cause for EU countries to take more people in. And over the weekend, 18,000, estimates between 15 and 18,000 uh, migrants and refugees arriving um, through Austria, Austria to Germany to be processed. Um, but, yeah, there have been huge differences, and you, you can't see that more starkly between David Cameron and Angela Merkel. Uh, simply looking at the figures, uh, the UK has taken some 5,000 or so Syrian refugees uh, compared to more than the 100,000 or so which Germany has taken. Um, and, and as I said, that, that will change. It, it does come down to uh, politics, uh, sadly, uh, in, in some instances. Um, obviously, the issue of uh, immigration is hugely uh, political in the United Kingdom. It comes ahead of some very controversial EU referendum, which is due to take place before the end of 2017. Uh, and those uh, Eurosceptics have said that this migrant crisis simply proves 
uh, that the United Kingdom must pull out of Europe, that no borders exist uh, unless you do so. Um, but it, it is fascinating to see in the, in the last 72 hours to a week how that opinion has changed among the British public uh, and, and, and the government temporarily uh, to see how government plans will be changing. And as I say, the Prime Minister will be outlining those plans uh, later today. And just taking a look at uh, where these refugees come from, the largest group um, uh, by nationality in 2015 is Syrians. As people flee the country's brutal civil war, then you have Afghans and Eritreans coming next, uh, also fleeing poverty and human rights abusers. Um, And then Nigeria and Kosovo also make up large groups. Uh, And, you know, just looking at that makeup, when people talk about this crisis in the UK, Dan, what do they think lies at the heart of this? Well, most people are really aware of um, Syrian refugees. Um, and as you say, they are the largest number. But in terms of asylum seekers, the largest application number are from Atreans. And their causes and their reasons for coming here are, are, are less publicized. And people aren't more aware of, of the situation there, whereas the situation in Syria and Iraq, people are far more in the public aware of the reasons as to why those refugees are, are coming here. I think the general consensus, you know, is among the, the British public is that they are aware these people are coming from very difficult situations and, and countries uh, which are at war. And I think there's no, um, I think most people have a, a real understanding of, of the difficulty that those people uh, have. And, and I've spoken to a number of community groups over the, the, the last week or so because what happens when they arrive here is they get dispersed into temporary housing, which is right across the United Kingdom. It's not a London issue. The north of England, Scotland, um, and the, and the, the east, uh, east of England in coastal regions is where a lot of them end up. And there are large communities, uh, as there have been for decades in the United Kingdom, when previous Iraqi refugees uh, came decades ago, uh, large communities of uh, former refugees and former asylum seekers from the Middle East and Northern Africa who are now an integral part of communi- the community there uh, and have settled in and, and, and make up, you know, what is, what is the United Kingdom there. All right, we'll try and fix that line with Dan once again. But we also join now by Dr. Simon Bryant, who's a Canadian physician, who will be part of uh, Médecins Sans Frontiers uh, Search and Rescue Boat. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Dr. Bryant. Thank you. Now, you know, this crisis, obviously one that has now gained the attention of everybody the world over. And as we said uh, earlier, more than 2,000 people have died, you know, uh, uh, trying to uh, reach a better life, better pastures uh, across the seas, according to organization, the International Organization for Migration. So uh, this particular mission that you are going on, what are you expecting to find? Well, indeed, the Central Mediterranean route, uh, where I have been working since April with uh, MSF on board a search and rescue vessel, uh, is uh, the most hazardous uh, refugee refugee migration route, I suppose you could call it that. Um, This confusion about whether people are refugees or migrants or what sort of language we should be using is a little bit irrelevant uh, in my estimation. It's not my place to judge whether somebody we take off a, a sinking boat is, uh, you know, their reasons for being there in the first place. Uh, we're there to save lives and provide the humanitarian support and deliver them uh, to where they can be uh, 
processed in their uh, asylum applications. I mean, what's really, really needed here is uh, is uh, some safe and legal way for people to apply for asylum, uh, either in their home countries or whether that, where that's impossible, like Syria, for example, where they're getting barrel bombed out of their homes, um, in adjacent countries. Uh, you look at uh, Lebanon, for example, you know, uh, and other adjacent countries in that region. An extraordinary percentage of their populations is made up now of uh, refugees. Syrians receive sort of top billing. They're very prominent in the news. But uh, I, 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 I sympathize with, very much with the Eritreans. And when I hear their stories also, um, uh, you know, I, I challenge anyone, I defy anyone to go and visit the country, let alone live there. And I, I fully understand why people are fleeing. I would call them genuine refugees. And, you know, uh, looking at, you know, people trying to cross the Mediterranean, amongst others, to try and uh, make it to Europe, um, what will be your motive? Will you be there to just help the people at sea? Will you be taking them to safety? What exactly will you be doing once you've found them? Yes, now, just to be clear, I have been doing this work since April of this year already, and the vessel on which I'm working uh, is, is operated by a Migrant Offshore Aid Station, or MOAS, uh, we've had over 7,000 people uh, come on board um, with various medical issues, and but basically we've rescued them, intercepted them, and rescued them from completely unseaworthy boats uh, in the international waters of Libya. And um, they truly deserve uh, a better chance. I mean, just as human beings, uh, it's not appropriate. Uh, it's really not. It's just not right uh, that they should be subjected to those situations. Um, you know, about a week, a week or ten days ago now, uh, August 25th, uh, I was on board one of these vessels in below deck, and uh, where 52 people had passed away from carbon monoxide poisoning, predominantly, I suppose. And it's just not right. That is uh, a senseless, senseless, senseless uh, waste of, of human lives. Well, we are asking the question this morning, why is Europe struggling to address uh, the migration crisis? And we'll take your calls when we come back from this break. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. And just to repeat our question this morning, why is Europe struggling to address the migration crisis? And reading a few of your messages, uh, Tony in Cape Town says, our hearts go out to the Syrian refugees. Why do Middle Eastern nations uh, like uh, Bahrain, Algeria, Morocco, Iran, etc. not help? South Africa is also immigrant averse. Lawrence in Edinburgh says, uh, leaders of individual countries should stop their corrupt and ungodly behavior that leads to force forced migration of God's people. And Joyce says uh, why, why Europe isn't coping is perhaps because the refugees are not white and are mostly of the Islamic faith. Secondly, double standards by the EU governments. Question is who funds and equips IS and others? That's from Joyce. So we are not going to take answers to that right now. Uh, we're going to go to a news break. But when we come back, we will open the lines. 891 is the call-in number. You can also SMS us at 34701 at a cost of one rand. Or you can tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. 
Why is Europe struggling to address the migration crisis is the question we're grappling with this morning. 891 is our call-in number. Our guest this morning, Dan Whitehead, who's our correspondent in London, also Vincent Williams, an independent consultant on migration, and Dr. Simon Bryant, a Canadian physician who is a part of Medsan Sans Frontiers Search and Rescue Boat. So um, just before I go to the callers, let me just try and get an answer about some of the issues raised there on our SMS line. Joyce talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, the fact that uh, the EU, um, some countries at least, uh, will not, uh, who are applying double standards and will not take um, Muslim refugees. Your uh, response to that, Dan? This is, as your other guest explained, an incredibly difficult situation in Europe within the Schengen area where there are no borders because uh, of course, uh, technically, when it comes uh, to refugees, they must be taken in, they must uh, be given a case uh, for asylum, regardless of uh, their religion, uh, their, their creed and colour. Uh, however, you, each, you're dealing with 28 member states who all have individual political situations uh, and, it, and who also uh, can say, well, look, we don't know whether all of these people are indeed refugees or whether or not they're migrants. And that certainly will be the public line which is being spun by those countries who perhaps do not want to take as many refugees as other countries. And um, it, is a, it is a stock answer which uh, can apply to this situation and, and give them some riddle room, because until you process those people trying to get in the country, there's no way of proving just exactly what their situation and um, uh, let me move over to Vincent uh, Williams, you know, and, and, and the uh, follow-up question to that is, where are the other Arab countries and why is it that people are not uh, trying to go there? Well, this is one of, I think, one of the, the difficult issues that has kind of been raised, but no one's really made an attempt to address it. What a lot of the Middle Eastern countries have done, their response to it has been to say, well, we're not going to take in anyone. However, we are willing to support the effort to protect refugees. And so you have some countries supporting refugee camps in Jordan and so on. So they're putting money into, into dealing with the crisis. But in fact, they're saying we're not going to open up our borders and allow refugees to come here. Why? I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that's certainly what we're seeing at the moment. And so part of the debate, and I think there's a, there's a larger issue here, that while our focus is on the crisis in Europe, this is a global issue. This is a global responsibility that has to be exercised here. And again, we don't, and I get a little bit uncomfortable when we start just saying, well, it's a European problem or the Middle Eastern countries have to deal with it. Equally, yeah, those of us in this part of the world need to pay attention to what's going on and we need to ask the question, what can we do about this? Well, let's go to the lines now, 891 Solly, you're calling from Cape Town. Good morning. Morning, Sakina, and to your guests. We've been waiting a long time, but it's been very informative, so just give me my chance, please. Firstly, I want to congratulate Doctors Without Borders. They do an incredible job, like our own gift of the givers. You ask, what does it do? One picture like Elaine Curdy changes everything. We have a very short memory. We had our own Hector Peterson that changed everything. It was one picture that changed the world. Going forward, what is happening now is nothing short of double standards which Europe and the West have done. It was all well to go and destroy Iraq, kill a leader that was not uh, living to their standards. They did the same in Libya. Gaddafi was not good enough. They went and destroyed country, 
thousands, hundreds of thousands get killed. Double standards all the time. What happens in Palestine is not important. They agree with the West. What happens in Egypt now, 45,000 are locked up. As long as Sisi agrees with them, it's fine. All the Arab countries are just Western proxies. That's why it's fine. But Europe, the chicken are coming home to roost now. Bush and Blair started this. It's time Bush and Blair were now charged for all the wars that they've done. But we also have to acknowledge that Angela Merkel is in a difficult position. She has accepted it that we'll have to do something because she knows this is the beginning of the end of the unity of Europe because they cannot agree amongst themselves. But the world must realize that too many children and people have been killed by Western double standards. And the time has come now we have to act and not just go to war and sell arms. Thank you so much. Sally in Cape Town. Janusz also in Cape Town. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. I will concentrate on the Polish, Czech, Slovakian and Hungarian situation. Why this country don't want to take any more uh, people from refugees from this Arabic country? Simply because, as, as many uh, people mentioned, it's a double, double standard of, uh, from, from UE. First of all, uh, for instance, Polish family earn uh, about 2,000 zlotych. Uh, sort of middle class uh, 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 earns 2,000. When the Arabic people come to the, to the Poland, they receive 3,000. Already create, create, uh, you know, to create a problem. Also in Poland, Czech and other countries, surrounding countries, there are big refugees from the Ukraine and people don't know about it. Every fifth worker in Poland and all these other countries are from the different countries. There is no more space. For, 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 more, for more workers. And also the conflict of the religion can be... Okay, we seem to have lost uh, uh, someone or some people there. But let's see if Joe in Middleburg is still on the line. Joe, good morning. Hi, morning, Robert. Good and you? Fine. Listen, uh, you know the BRICS uh, 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 block where, you know, South Africa is also part, you know, our own president, uh, President Zuma, because there's uh, uh, Syria is being protected by Russia or supported by Russia. That's what is reported. What is our president from his side has been a member of BRICS, you know, saying to the uh, 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 Russian president, you know, about supporting uh, 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 this guy Assad. Why is his country falling apart? You know, really, you know, that, that question we should start asking now. You know, you know, really, everything, what is our president doing as part of BRICS? Because Russia is part of BRICS and Russia is supporting Assad. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Joe in Middleburg. Tapelo in Bethlehem? Yes, Sagina, uh, 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 according to me, the way I see things, I think the leaders of uh, the European leaders, in any place where they are, even in South Africa, if you check, the, the people of European descent are not romantic about reality. They know that once those uh, uh, refugees come into, into their country, firstly, what is going to happen? They are going to integrate with their race, and their race is going to, to, to disappear. The other thing that they are, they are going to destabilize is their economy. And... It's security of their of their country. So unlike us, if you check uh, the way the way we are, uh, especially the African leaders, we are romantic with real issues and check the level of development we are in. 
those people are realistic, are taking things as they are and taking things as they are, dealing with them as they are. All right. Thanks, uh, Tapelo. Timber in Port Elizabeth. Morning, man. Quick one to, from me. These, oh my God, these are refugees. Uh, they have to be termed as such, uh, not migrants. That's one. Two, President Zuma has nothing to do uh, with Vladimir Putin and Syrian issues. Vladimir Putin and Russia are protecting their own territory. They are protecting their own interests in relation to Europe and America. So they would not allow them to take over Syria just next door to them. So Zuma has no role there. People must not come into the media and try and drag South Africa or President Zuma and even BRICS into this matter. Russia did not attack any country around the world. So please keep Zuma out of it. Keep Putin out of it. He's taking care of his own interests in terms of Russia in relation to EU and America. <laughs> okay, that's Temba in Port Elizabeth. Yaj in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, morning, Sakina. Europe has got a moral obligation to look after all these refugees because they were complicit in the bombing of these countries like Syria and Libya. They've destroyed the people's infrastructure. They've created this human tragedy, this disaster, and they must fork out the money, and they must ask the United States to help them out to, 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 to finance the assistance of these refugees. You cannot bomb countries to smithereens, destroy the infrastructure, uh, and, and try to bring about democracy. It doesn't work. And, you know, Libya was a prosperous country. So was Syria. And look what a disaster this has become. Well, thank you so much, Yaj, in Cape Town. Okay, um, let's go back to our panel just to get a response to what has been said. And I know, Dr. Simon Bryant, uh, that, you know, your brief is more humanitarian and uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, what's your response to what some of the listeners have raised here? Um, You know, talking about uh, the complicity of uh, some of the uh, NATO powers in terms of what is happening right now. Some even saying it's a matter of the chickens coming home to roost, as Solly was saying. Yes, I've heard some uh, very interesting uh, points from the listeners and the panel. Um, I'd just like to point out that uh, MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, is non-governmental, and that means that we are completely independent of the governments and able to act and speak out very quickly and promptly. We have, as you know, a primary focus on saving lives and providing humanitarian care, but also advocating on behalf of people. And, so I appreciate this opportunity. As to the question of the show, why Europe is having such difficulty, I think it's in part because this is an unprecedented uh, refugee crisis, and not since the end of the Second World War have there been so many, 60 million, as of last count, displaced and refugee people in the world. And um, we just have not had this kind of refugee crisis on this scale. I'd like to be a little bit positive by saying that I think I see some changes in attitudes in the right direction. I think uh, people are having trouble because they don't fully understand the situation. And when faced with it, uh, immediately in front of them, I think by and large they do the right thing, which is to uh, help in any way they can. Well, let me as go... They themselves, yes, as they themselves would like mm-hmm. to be helped. And um, uh, to Dan Whitehead, let me ask you that very same question. Um, You know, some of our listeners, I'm not sure how much of it you heard, saying that, you know, uh, given what uh, the West uh, and some of the NATO countries have done, uh, this is, you know, basically the the, the end result of uh, their activities in other countries. 
Well, absolutely. And, and those who have always been against the military action taken in countries such as Iraq and Syria, that is the whistle that they are blowing. One of the difficult issues is that each individual country within the EU and the member states has taken a different role when it comes to the situation in Syria, where most of these refugees are coming from. If you look at the UK, we, no military action has been taking place in Syria, only Iraq, whereas um, France, for instance, has taken military action uh, in Syria. Um, and that now is going to be one of the biggest issues in the coming weeks. We heard from David Cameron um, before he did his U-turn on taking in more refugees uh, that what needs to change is the situation on the ground and that the, this issue will not be resolved in, a, in the long term unless uh, the, the situation is resolved in Syria and in Iraq and the war against the Islamic State continues. But he did say that this certainly now opens up the discussion uh, to the United Kingdom taking military action in Syria, which is, will be a major move uh, as and when that is debated. That won't happen uh, unless David Cameron can secure full parliamentary backing. We've seen that before in the last couple of years where David Cameron has recalled parliament here uh, for military action in Syria, and that has been voted down by OMP in the Houses of Parliament. So there are certainly... Uh, as we, as Parliament reopens here in the United Kingdom, for instance, going to be uh, some big questions uh, in terms of increasing the United Kingdom and Europe's military action in Syria to try and resolve this problem at the source. Well, I want to read some of the messages coming through on our Twitter timeline. Kosingipile um, Mkunu says, uh, UN must find ways to stabilize these war-torn countries. The UN must act quickly. The situation is out of hand. And then uh, this one from uh, Mahala3 says, how I wish that this was taking place in the United States as well. Destabilizing countries in pursuit of wealth backfires negatively, hugely. And then Willie Mosibi says, uh, but really Africa Let's wake up and fix this continent. We are asking for a recolonization at the rate at which things are going right now. And then Musa Shabalala says, uh, do the UK and US feel any responsibility at all? They created the Afghan war. Why do they not take accountability for their mess? Anon Cognito says, uh, this is an opportunity for South Africa as well to reflect and learn with regard to xenophobia. Kaeli Kumalo says, migration crisis in the EU is a demonstration that the world is unsafe, that racism rages on and no one wants to open their borders. Mojo says Europe is Islamophobic presently, therefore they are afraid to accept that uh, these mostly Muslim refugees I think that uh, the refugees have lost hope in the adjacent countries they have done little to stop the civil war in Syria and uh, Clever Black says why does the world allow a situation where people become refugees in the first place that's the real issue for me so we continue taking your calls on 0891 let's speak to Haley here in Johannesburg good morning hi good morning ma'am to you and the city people of South Africa as well for every listeners what I want to say about the global crisis about the migrants in Africa elsewhere in the world it starts with a few points I can mention to you the United States of America first started bombing Iraq due to the biological war never exists that causes the global economic recession. And the second, the African leaders are very, very arrogant, and there is no democracy in each and every African country. 99% of Africa, we have got no democracy in the human rights. So, 
from the ancient times, our ancestors, with the cows, horses, and the donkeys, they're migrating from where looking with the water and resources. Now, today, migrants are leaving due to the political and the economic crisis. They are looking for peace, they are looking for food and the water, and they are looking for a better life. But as a human being, we need to unite the global and the United Nations. This planet Earth, the right of the planet Earth, the human being can live anywhere else in the world. So how do we can do deal this matter? So the Africa is married, engaged with the Chinese, the Chinese breeding center in Africa. No more we Africans, we cannot live in African soil, and we are looking to migrate in different nations in the world. So now, to bring the better life, so the United Nations and the United States of America is the number one responsible for the crisis. Because of the United States America are attacking the Iraq, attacking the Japan because of the, their sovereignty. If you see the history repeat, if you read the history, Hiroshima and the Nagasaki, their mission is crippling the other nations to rise up or to be dominant nation in the world. So that is why we, the Africans, the next nations, who become the rising up the which the America or the other nations in the world. So we need to have a better strategy to curb this and the African leaders. We need to have a new generation leaders to deploy and to protect this crisis. Thank you so much, Haley in Johannesburg. Let's go to Lanasia. Didi, good morning. Hi, Sakina. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the last speaker, but I, I really appreciate all the speakers for their input because everyone has such a valuable and valid point. But for me, it's a question of history. And history if one has to really go through the refugee crisis and the migrants or whatever one wants to label people as humanitarian is the crisis that we have to deal with. One has to go back to where originally there was a, a whole question of being chosen and what is the chosen land and how many refugees we have all over the world that are of the Palestinian descent. So we need to really go to get to grips with the grassroots, with the ordinary men and women from those years to understand what they feel, how they, what they've been through, and how they engage as human beings with the crisis that they've had to live with for so many years. I thank you, Sakina. Thank you so much, Didi. Hassan Logat, good morning. Uh, uh, Sakina. Yes, Hassan. Yeah, hello. Yeah, my, my take is that when we have a crisis such as this, We've got to discuss the underlying causes, unless people have raised it. But none of them have raised the issues of the arm-producing nations, which are really uh, France, UK, America. These are the top ones who sell arms to these dictators in these other countries. And uh, some of them in some parts of the world, like Israel, uh, experiment on these arms on real people and to say those weapons work. So clearly, they must be, it must be factored into the discussion a far more, maybe a separate show. Thank you so much, Hassan. Uh, Vincent Williams? Uh, you're asking me to comment on some of the... Yes, please. Well, I'd like to pick up on just two main issues that, that some of the listeners raised. The one is the issue of double standards, and I think there, there's some consideration that we need to give to that point. We remember the crisis in Zimbabwe and the pressure that was put on particularly South Africa but other African countries as well to respond to that crisis. We're now seeing a reverse of the situation. Um, and so while a lot of European leaders often will say things about Africans not dealing with their own problems, yeah, we have a case where Europe is unable to respond at all. Double standards, yes, I think a critically important uh, issue. 
One of the listeners talked about concerns regarding security and the socioeconomic impact of taking in large numbers of refugees. And I think, yes, we do need to give credence to that, and there is some, there are some legitimate concerns, but my view would be that those concerns, however legitimate they, they, they may be, should be secondary to our concern about saving lives and protecting people. And then just the comment made by Dr. Bryant regarding um, the, the scale of, of the refugee movement that we're seeing and that we haven't seen it since the Second World War. We need to bear in mind that the Refugee Convention was designed just after the Second World War, and it was precisely to cope with this sort of situation where you have large numbers of people being displaced and having to leave their own countries as a consequence of conflict. So in some ways, we actually have the instruments to deal with this problem. What we don't have, and I think uh, Dan earlier made this point, what we don't have is a lack of political will where leaders are a lot more concerned about the impact of them responding to this crisis properly rather than actually just making sure that, that we are saving lives and that we are protecting people. Dan, um, your response to the question of the arms-producing uh, nations and uh, some of our earlier, um, uh, you know, uh, contributions also mentioned that, uh, the fact that you have uh, countries that are basically selling arms and, and, and in some instances funding and equipping, um, you know, some of these organizations that are at the root of the destabilization. Yes, I mean, I think that is, is probably a wider topic, but there are certainly huge industries within the United Kingdom here who focus on arms producing and creating uh, war planes and other elements of uh, war material, which certainly not directly uh, go to these countries, but perhaps indirectly are, are sold, and end up in the hands uh, of these countries which are where we're going to see such war-torn situations. So that is certainly a conversation that needs to be had, not one which the government is pursuing in the immediate days and weeks. They're focusing on the refugee uh, crisis. It was interesting to hear the point about the economic reasons for uh, countries taking in um, further refugees. And the British Chancellor, George Osborne, in an interview yesterday, uh, outlined uh, how Britain would be paying for the increase in thousands of refugees coming here, um, and that would be simply a diversion of the international aid budget, the um, tens of millions of pounds which the UK pays to many of these countries in international aid. That will now be diverted directly to uh, town councils across uh, England and uh, Scotland and so forth, and Wales and Northern Ireland, uh, so that they can directly and very quickly pay to put up uh, the numbers which are required in terms of Syrian refugees. There's no doubt being failures to summarise by, by Europe over this crisis, and mainly the speed of which uh, they haven't reacted. Although this summer this has been the story here in Europe, this has been a story for the last two years. We've seen uh, the majority of these people crossing the Mediterranean and, and residing in Greece, Italy and Turkey for the last two to three years. Uh, it's only in the last six months or so we have seen an exodus from there uh, and this migration and uh, refugee crisis really spread across into mainland Europe, which has then got the attention. But um, a senior person in the United Nations every weekend said that Europe must take in at least 200,000 refugees by the end uh, of this year. That is a target, certainly, which Germany will be spearheading uh, that Europe achieves. 
on to read uh, some of the messages from our SMS line. Uh, this one from uh, Koketo Masimene, who says, uh, what are the Muslim and Arabic countries doing in this situation? Or are they as useless as our own AU? Mali says, gift of the givers asked why the Arab states are not coming forward to help and they shouldn't leave it to the Western world alone. Um, Terence and Kimberly says, the death of a young refugee really shocked the world. Why can't the UN step in to solve this crisis? Uh, this one unsigned. Uh, surely the problem should be addressed at the source. You make it sound as if Europe made the problem. And this one says, uh, what we need is an idea of Europe that is not Eurocentric. Is this conceivable? Simon Kay in the Eastern Cape says, America is the main destabilizer of the world. Why is Europe quiet? Tabo says the West helped topple uh, a stable Libya and arming ISIS in Syria. They must also handle the results of this. Sviso in Pinetown says, Sakina, this is unacceptable that it's easy for the US and Europe to create wars, but now that they are not coping uh, with the effects, uh, they want to turn away from it, basically. He says the UK is a tiny island that could fit into a corner of any part of South Africa, for heaven's sakes. Why can't South Africa take in some of these migrants instead? And Emmanuel says, too sad that the world which has enough resources to ensure that every human being on planet Earth can live with dignity has been spoiled by politicians and the arrogance of humans that think that we live our lives without God. Driving a car without Emmanuel is pure stupidity. The a migrant crisis is one Uh, is one of the results. And then um, a few more, just very quickly. This one says, can we use another word for double standards? Well, I suppose we could, but what is that word? What would you like us to say? And Edward uh, Chibase in Toyando says, uh, can you tell us as to why there is no white refugees in the world? Uh, JD says, people should stay in their own countries to sort out the problems they have. And Tato says, South Africa and Nigeria also guilty by agreeing to no-fly zones against Gaddafi. They must also come to South Africa for asylum. That's from Tato. Well, that unfortunately is uh, pretty much uh, all we have time for this morning. Just a quick uh, parting shot from our guest. Let me start with you, um, Dr. Brian. Yes, I'd just like to point out that MSF is active in many countries, including Ukraine, Italy and Greece currently, and also in the transit countries these people come through. I think the difference is going to be made by individuals. Uh, One way they could help is to donate to MSF because it's entirely funded by donations. Just go to the website, msf.org.za, and uh, one can donate there. I'd like to thank all the listeners. Thank you. uh, Vincent Williams? Well, uh, just that last point, the good uh, alternative for double standards is hypocrisy, and that's what we're seeing not just in Europe, but I think in many other parts of the world as well. My final comment, it's important that we keep talking about these issues, but we should keep in mind that we should not just be talking. There is a crisis, people are dying, and we need to deal with that situation. Dan Whitehead? I think this will change potentially the shape of Europe. Uh, Leaders meeting in Brussels today to discuss the crisis and a leaning EU referendum on the future of Britain's involvement. Uh, This story certainly won't be going away. And, of course, I think a good note on which to end it is this uh, tweet from Outside Commander who says, Our humanity should never leave us despite our political intolerance and differences. We are all humans. Thanks so much for tuning in and for participating in the show this morning. And we're back between 6 and 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Right now, though, it's 9 o'clock and news uh, with Kumbuzile Tabete up next.